I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch knows to never trust a man whose eyebrows meet. Hey, Aaron. Just Aaron. It's a Pete hey, voices in my head. Yeah. Oh, oh, now we're getting wacky. Do you, do you think one of those people is a morning DJ drive host? Yes, I do. <laughs> is he joined by anyone, maybe? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're joined in the studio by the wolf. How many, how many characters could you go to before getting to a terribly offensive and inappropriate racist area. <laughs> Two? Like, uh, <laughs> I, I was afraid you were going to start there, if I'm being honest, because it's like, it's either that or a horribly misogynistic uh, woman voice. And sometimes when they switch it up, they combine the two. It's uh, It shows you, especially when you're watching uh, one of the Ernest films, uh, sometimes... Don't bring that shit on here. <laughs> he uh, Sometimes he brings up a, a, a couple funny voices and you're like, ah, this is, this is gold. And then he's just like, hey, guess what? I also have an Indian voice that Peter's not going to do an impression <laughs> of an impression of. <laughs> yeah. Well, thankfully here on this show, we love to watch. Uh, a movie podcast where we pick a theme and do movies around that theme each month. We don't have any offensive accents or stereotypes. No, none. <laughs> none. Uh, yeah, and this month, it is our third week of my beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy, double fantasy part two, the Yoko side. Um, fan Fantastic fest. The best part about the theme is that it's just so elegant. You say the name and people know exactly what you mean. I think people will get it when they find out we're doing uh, 1985's Neil Jordan's movie. That's not how you say that. Neil 1985's Neil Jordan's movie. 1985. <laughs> Did you say Neil's Jordan's movie? <laughs> Neil's Jordan. Yeah, well, Neil owns Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> or there's multiple Neil Jordans. 19, I'm just going to do it. Hold on. I'm going to do it all. The all apostrophe edition. 1985's Neil's Jordan's The's companies he's irish he's not like you know sometimes you got some extra apostrophes hanging around (laughs) you get a little possessive if you know what i mean uh so dumb but yeah the movie's the company of wolves by neil jordan from 1985 why do i keep calling it in the company of wolves well because neil laboot did in the company of men you know that would be a movie to revisit Oh, yeah, that'd be well, just one of those great movies that everyone remembers so fondly and definitely has aged well. Uh, yeah, I, I... Leave that one out in the sun for a while because it's going to age wonderfully. I mean, the whole point was that they were terrible. Like, that was the point. Like, that was what was talked about in 1997 when it was released. But holy shit, has anyone watched that movie recently? If you have, please dial our hotline and been like, what was that like? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag, what was that like? Uh, start on Twitter. If you've watched In the Company of Men recently. Hashtag, what was that like? Hashtag, do you know there are other movies? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's The Company of Wolves. It's a movie I had been on a few Spooktober lists. And I hadn't seen, and Peter's like, we should save it for this dark fantasy month we're doing. It'll be a good kind of change of pace from the more PG-type movies. Uh, and and then Peter and a few other people said, it's not really a horror movie anyway. I was like, this would fit great into a dark fantasy month, but it's not quite a horror movie. 
So here's you're not the only person that said that when I post my Spooktober list. People were like, this isn't really a horror movie. And then they're like, well, the the last laugh or whatever isn't really a horror movie. I think you have that confused with the man who laughs or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Are you sure? They're like, well, unless capitalism scares you. Murnau's last laugh is not a horror movie. I'm like, all right. But people would say that about this when they would see my list, too. Uh, and I, I have something to say to you and all those people. I think you're wrong. I think this is very much a horror movie with uh, fairy tale and fantasy. Elements. All fantasy movies are inherently treading into horror waters because all fantasy tropes are like orcs and dark mountains and werewolves and mythology and that sort of those sort of like monster tropes in particular. Like you kind of need to wrangle, especially witches. Like all of our, our basic set horror tropes. I think descended out of fantasy and out of folklore and fairy tales. And this movie is very much trying to create an adult version of what kids' fairy tales were, or <laughs> trying to dekidify dark fairy dark grim fairy tales that were kidified. Here's what I think. I think you're wrong. I think for some reason actually I think I think you're right, but I want to talk about this in a different I think for some reason werewolf movies even horror werewolf movies are all considered something some other genre first for some reason and I don't know why that is like you look look at some of the big werewolf movies that you talk about right the howling I remember people saying that was a comedy like Joe Dante's comedy the howling uh, when I saw it there were definitely some funny moments. It's a Joe Dante movie. But that's a fucking horror movie through and through. I was very I was very happily surprised by the movie I saw, but I, I literally it was expecting a comedy. American Werewolf in London. Definitely some funny moments. Directed by a comedy person, but still has a lot of terrifying gore effects and all the other things that we that we associate with like eighties horror movies. Um and I there's you, th- all three of the movies that you've just named, by the way, uh, including Company of Wolves, uh, have horrific on-screen wolf transformations. Well, exactly. And this this should be included in those. And like Ginger Snaps, too, I've heard referred to as like a like a comedy or a drama. Like, I, I don't know what – I don't know if it's the wolf transformations or anything else. And I'm not – again, I am not saying that things can only exist in one genre. I get it. Like – there is there is comedic elements. There's definitely fantasy elements in this movie. There's comedic elements in The Howling and stuff like that. But it's like, for some reason, this is the only genre where we... Like, how many slasher or vampire movies are way more goofy and should be probably considered comedies or way... You know, all these types of things. It is weird that all of our iconic um, werewolf movies post, like, The Wolfman, we don't label as horror movies as much as some other genre. And I think that's bizarre, and I don't know why that is. But so I'm putting my foot down. The Company of Wolves primarily is a horror movie. I would I would label it as a fantasy movie because I do think that the tropes lean did, more into Did you hear about it. my foot? <laughs> <laughs> How big's the foot? Uh, size 13. What do you got? What are you working with? That's also what I have. <sighs> I didn't know we were both big feet boys. It's the worst, actually. It's because terrible. Most terrible. only stock up to twelve. I know. So that's what you ever you ever buy a twelve and just live with it because you there's <laughs> yeah. no options. Of I've done it. It's yeah. it's it's torture. Um, how have we never talked about feet size? 
You know they say about the size of your feet. Same size as the socks? I mean, they wouldn't be the same size. You'd hope the socks would be a little longer, Peter. <laughs> where where does your feet end to you? Uh, I'm not at liberty to discuss right now, but right. actually most feet size, uh, most socks uh, are say like 6 to 12. It's always like, I know. Oh, oh fuck, fuck me, I guess. Let me, yeah, let me tell you this. So most 6 to 12 fit. Although I can't imagine what that's like for six people. <laughs> like, are they just like whatever? I'm basically wearing pants. <laughs> like, if they put, if they put on if they're you're, you're size six feet and you put on two socks, are you like people are like, are you wearing crotchless pants or do you have two <laughs> socks on? And but they're just, they're just called stockings, Aaron. But crotchless, I recently crotchless pants and waistless. They're yeah. just called stockings. Mm, I think they're called crotchless pants. <laughs> <laughs> pants without crotch material. Okay. Um, yeah, but I recently bought some socks that were six twelve, and I really liked them. And I bought like six pairs because uh, they were like this uh, designs I enjoyed and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, these are cool. I like these. And I bought like six different pairs, and it was the first time in a long time I bought six to twelve that didn't they didn't fit. <laughs> like I couldn't get them all around my ankle, and I'm like, honey. How do you feel about new socks? Because they don't want to return six pairs of socks. I've done that before where I've just just handed them over to my girlfriend because it was like, yeah. well, it's either the trash can or this because I'm not – I'm getting ready yeah. in the morning. I, that is when I'm most likely to have a Adam Sandler style freak out about something tiny. Yeah. Um, and – Socks seems plenty sizable. Like that is probably the last thing I'm doing before I'm heading out the door, other than shoes. But putting on yeah. socks and shoes, uh, I put on socks then shoes. It's a weird thing I do. Yeah, my sock doesn't fit is not an acceptable situation. In the and then you're yelling at your bones for they're being one too big. size. They're one size fits all. <laughs> but I think you got two inches um, on me. You're six two, right? I'm six one. Six one. Okay, and I'm six, a little over six. So. I think we're the same size, same same shoes. Definitely not the same size. I look forward to when you stop going to the gym because you're just taking care of kids. <laughs> then we'll be the same size. Um, but it's like 25 pounds of kid, buddy. <laughs> like, Did you say 25 work. pounds of kid butter? Buddy. Oh, <laughs> I like it better the other way. 25 pounds of butter, baby. I'm, I'm packing on 25 pounds of kid butter. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of crazy how quickly you can lose, totally lose it. Um, I like, I like anyway. the idea of you talking about your own body as a cannibal-focused object. Like, you know, if you had to cut me up for scrap, I guess it would marries. all be butter. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is where I keep my butter. You gotta have dad butter. Sounds weird. Let's move on as quickly as possible. <laughs> no. How do you think no. we made the kids? The dad right, butter. The movie's a fantasy horror movie. It's a fantasy horror movie. Company of Wolves. It's a retelling of various fairy tales kind of ending in uh, Little Red Riding Hood. But we'll talk about that in a recap. First, we actually have a huge announcement. Uh, it is kind of a big announcement for Peter and I. It is uh, exciting for Peter and I. It is not going to be meaningful at all to our audience. does not affect you guys at all. But we're, sh- you know, I think Peter, if um, I think we people would say we're sharers in that we share information because we think of you guys as our little baby, little baby people. The big announcement is Peter. I think we've been alluding to it for like eight years now because it feels like the engagement's gone that long. But uh, yeah, you're getting married. I am getting married. I'm getting I'm getting uh, Gary married. Hopefully not Gary unmarried. 
Oh, no, you don't want to be Jay Moore. <laughs> I think what's more unique about us having the same uh, feet sizes, foot sizes, feet sizes, is Thought. that we both know what that show is. <laughs> um, I surprised myself when I knew what you were talking about. Like, oh, yeah. I watched an episode of that for some reason. But what over under here, quick quiz. How many seasons did Gary Unmarried last? Do not look it up. Um, the quiz. I'm going to guess it's more than I think. So I'm going to say four. It's two. Oh, okay. So I would have guessed so four This is a two. deep cut reference. It's a really – it's like 2008 to 2010. Mm. Uh, so you're saying we I'm just so, late. Yeah, we're just so excited about the election of Barack Obama that we're like, let's see what Jay Moore's up to. Anything can happen now. <laughs> Maybe he made a that, good show. That was probably the year that I was in such a good mood that I watched a Rob of like a new Rob Schneider special on Netflix to be like, what's this Rob guy up to? And then I, I think I found out. So yeah, so you're you're getting married finally, um, and how long you're, how long were you engaged? Fuck face. Mm, standard one month <laughs> i'm trying to think I, I was almost two years you were engaged for two years yeah the, this is some, probably some right from for some comedy material uh because no one's ever done it but planning a wedding a lot of work it is a lot of work uh we will beat you um 19 months will be ours okay yeah we originally were gonna do like a year and then Oh no! Well, maybe we weren't because it was be July, and then it we're was really the good next in a year, and then October. you were like, "Oh yeah, we need money," which is what happened to us. No, so it'd have been fifteen months. Okay, so you, so you just changed the timeline just to beat me. You're that competitive about this. <laughs> yeah, I, I went back in time, changed history. <laughs> <laughs> Look, here's the thing, bud. Uh, I got Facebook posts to prove it. They're time stamped, engagement <laughs> photos, wedding photos. Check it out. I'm not checking your timeline. Uh, so, yeah, I'm fine. I'm getting married. Finally, in your terminology. Yeah, it's been 19 months. Yeah. 15's a good number. That's 15's I, a good number? Is that's the right amount? After that, I mean, your marriage ideal is just doomed. The ideal number is you try to do 11, and then you end up doing 15 because you're like, there's no way we're doing this in May. Yeah, we had some friends that were trying to do it in 8, and I was like, oh, oh my sweet summer child. That's a lot of stuff. But anyways, I, um, Peter, I've been invited to your wedding. Uh, and I believe as of right now, depending on how it goes, uh, but depending on how we're feeling, my wife and I are going to go. Um, but then uh, nice, you were nice enough to invite me to something else. Mm-hmm. I invited you to my bachelor party where, where bachelors come. I think you're the bachelor, to be clear. I don't have to divorce my wife to come do it. Oh. Because I'll do it. <laughs> I haven't been to a party in a long time, and I will divorce my wife for the evening. <laughs> I've already booked a plane ticket. <laughs> I think that was going to a... be a trial separation, <laughs> or do I have to get all the paperwork? Done? Well, okay. So here's the thing: it's called a bachelor party. If you went to a toga party, there's not just one dude in a toga. We all have to be bachelors. Yeah. So everyone has to get divorced. And you, have then to be, we... you have to be a Gary unmarried. We we have to use disappearing ink. Mm-hmm. So, but anyways, it's already gotten <laughs> so long. Um, so yeah, so uh, I'm so excited, Peter. It's our second time actually hanging out in person, uh, which we did for like two hours, and now it'll be like three days. So sort of changing the dynamic. Like no easy exit. We're all trapped in a cabin in the woods. We better like each other. 
we better like each other. I've met uh, none of the people going. You, in a sense, you've met Ryan. I met Ryan. He guessed on the show. You've talked to Ryan for like six hours. Six hours. Uh, edited down to three. <laughs> um, uh, your brother's a big fan of me. As huge, as fan. Huge, huge fan. Huge fan. Was more excited to arrange it so that I could come based on these private emails he's been sending me more than <laughs> you getting married. Yeah. He keeps asking if uh, I can invite more people so that you two can share a room. <laughs> so, yeah, because there is 10 beds and nine people. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's great. So, Peter, I, I'm i glad your brother's excited at the very least. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to make sure that um, I take it seriously. I, you know, I appreciate getting invited. I appreciate getting invited to this with your close friends. And I, I just want you to know that I'm taking it very seriously. And I want to make sure that I bring the best parts of our friendship to to the experience. Uh, and that's why I'm already working on some some great bits. Because I think... You're working on bits. Before I'm working on some bits. I'm working on some bits. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's still 90 days out. But <laughs> I just want to let you know, Peter. Look at me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you some great bits. You're going to bring great bits. Well, usually, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping for like a pretty chill vibe. Should I call uh, them no segments? No exotic dancers. Do you, you think know, segments crazy. Will, Segments? You think, you think if I call them segments, it'll be better? Because we we do a lot of segments together. So, how, when was the last time but, you hung out with a, a group of, of people, your peers? Oh, I go to work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you didn't stay home to bang on your drum all day? Uh, no, I wish. But... Ugh. Because I don't want to work, Peter, mm-hmm. and I need. But I, how else do you afford drums? They're very expensive, <laughs> <laughs> and you seem to break them a lot. Oh, I break those drums. You're really heavy on the kick. Yeah, you call me old Runnigan. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so I, I. But look, I respect you. I don't want you. You just need to relax. It's your it's your bachelor weekend. It's your last thing of freedom before the old ball and chain and other misogynistic nonsense um, <laughs> get you. Uh, so I don't want you to have to do the segment. So Peter, here's my promise to you as your best friend and basically your brother, probably your best man. I don't know. Let me know how that goes. Um, <laughs> I don't want you. Do to you want to marry my to- wife too? Uh, can I can I give your wife away? <laughs> you want to be best dad too? I want to be best dad. I want to be your dad. Do you want to be best man? Yeah. My I, dad. I, why don't we just get married? Not too crazy. It's legal. That's a great question. Why didn't they ever make Steve Martin make a movie called Father of the Groom? Miss Andre. Uh, I don't know. He, she probably had a younger brother, right? But he was yeah. probably so annoying. He never Wasn't got it Karen Culkin? Oh yeah. 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 He probably became an MRA. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I want you to relax, though. Okay. So I don't want – you don't have to worry about the segments. I'm going to do all the segments myself. Thank you. That's very kind. But I want to let you know, like, to show you how hard I'm already working, I'm just going to run by some segments I'm planning on doing. Just just FYI, just like on our show, don't, don't ever tell the guests, which in this case is all your personal friends and family. We'll call them the guests – um, don't tell so, them. So you're a, you're a host in this situation. I'm gonna be one of the hosts, basically. You have given yourself nine promotions in one minute. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're co-host of your bachelor party, and then there's some guests. Okay, got it. Um, they will definitely have to do the three beeps. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a good little inside joke for people who've been on this podcast. Um, which is probably half our listeners at this point. We've had a lot of guests. So, anyways, 
So I'm just gonna run by some segments. Let me know your thoughts. Give me, uh, give me thumbs up or way thumbs up, because you know, you know, we don't do bad segments. Uh, <laughs> everything is gold. I think I can give you an audio version of thumbs up or way thumbs up. Probably. Okay. Um, what do you think? Like, <laughs> that's the noise my daughter, my ten month old, makes when she really likes something. She goes, "That's awesome." Yeah. You should teach her a new language. Uh, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> does she know predator <laughs> oh no she's 10 months old you are not is that a two-year-old a thing i've never had a child 1.5 <laughs> parents constantly refer to their kids as being 1.5 years old <laughs> <laughs> kids parents love exact decimal places <laughs> the future organ a... unit is 1.5 years old she will be ready to be, to be harvested within 16 moons have you met my kids one and two um <laughs> Be, be very depressing to introduce your kids as one, two, and four. <laughs> oh. uh, anyway, F- five was just a nice hug instead. Yeah. Uh, so, so here's what I have so far. I have the uh, so there's a pool table at the place we're staying. Uh, so I, one of the segments is going to be a guy who has clearly never played pool before, but uh, refuses to let anyone help him and keeps just pretending he knows the rules and basically ruins every game. Um, I'm, I'm going to do that segment for the whole time I'm there. Oh! That's, that's pretty funny. Thumbs up, way thumbs up. What are you giving it? Thumbs, thumbs up! I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Great. It's pretty funny. How, how have high? You, have, have, have you played pool? Oh, yeah. No, I know what I'm doing with pool. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Can you? Okay. What other segments do you have planned? I just want to make sure we you throw we the ball in the air. You swing it. Try to get yeah, to first that's, base. That's um a different. That's a different yeah, game. Part, don't worry. It's all part of the segment. I just want to you know just benefit of the doubt. Oh, you mean polo? part of the segment. Polo. Water polo is in a pool. Is that what you mean? I was gonna flood the house and bring a horse. Is that not? What <laughs> <laughs> Seems like that sounds right. Anyways, uh, segment of, we got a lot of these. We're gonna call them uh, Batchy Seggies. Batchy um, Seggies. Okay. Uh, batchy Seggy number two. Thumbs up. Way thumbs up. Uh, guy who keeps trying to nonchalantly take naps in beds that I've not been assigned. <laughs> this will also this will also be an all weekend segment. <laughs> um, to be clear, all of these will be all weekend segments. But I'll say it each yeah. time, just so you know. Hey, Aaron. Um, just for your own thumbs up. Way thumbs up. I'm gonna give it. Uh, thumb, I'm gonna give it a, a thumbs up, a tentative thumbs up. Do you want me to like put your name on a door, like when you figure out rooms? I mean, I yeah, just so I don't actually take a nap in my own bed. Good thinking. Wait, have my back on this segment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, um, it's, it's okay. Yeah, just keep keep going. Just, yeah, that sounds that's fine. That's fine. We can figure that out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk to everyone else normally, but I'm going to hold up the blue snowball microphone, which I'm bringing, and talk through it whenever I'm speaking to you. <laughs> so, no, it's an all-weekend segment just for my comfort level. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, that's that's pretty funny. Um, Here's what, you, wouldn't really, I, you wouldn't really do that, right? Like, I don't know, you know if it's funny, but I feel like you don't mess with what works, Peter. How about – I have an idea. If anything, though, I, hold on. I'm going to rethink this. You've brought up an interesting point. You should never mess with what works. I don't hold my blue snowball. I have it propped up on something, so I'm just going to lean into it and have a – I'm going to always have a shelf with me of some sort or a bureau. Mm-hmm. I, Can you make sure there's a bureau or should yeah, I talk yeah, to Charlie? I'll, I'll look in the amenities page on Airbnb to look for bureau. Look for one that says blue 
snowball holding bureau. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll definitely look hard for that one. Um, I can message Charlie. It is your weekend. I might have to squint a little bit. Yeah, you know, thank you. I'm glad that you two are, are working this out. That was a way thumbs up, right? Yeah, that's. I think we can. I think we can make that work. That's a. Yeah, that's a way thumbs up. We can totally. We can totally do that. Yeah, go on, go on. Okay, great. Uh, I have the guy who's clearly terrified of the sauna, but tries really hard to hide it to seem cool. <laughs> he replied, "Peter, it's it's just too darn hot." It's a very plausible joke. I mean, it's a it's a hot box, and like, what if the door gets gets locked? Yeah, it's not a real thing. So when I act scared, to be clear, it's part of an all weekend segment to try to seem cool, but actually, just rem- you, Peter, specifically, I want you to know mm-hmm. I'm not scared. Yeah, you're you're not scared, buddy. That's I'm not fine. like I'll be you trapped don't... in here forever and stop breathing and have a panic attack. Yeah. I, that'll all be part of the character. We don't have to use the sauna at all, buddy. That's fine. That's I'm fine. method, though. Yeah. No, I want to. I'm method. I'm just going to bring a lot of Valium. <laughs> Take it right before the sauna to really get into character of a guy who's too scared to use the sauna. Oh, uh, I love Valium. I call them sleepy boys. They'll get you eventually. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, they're fun to take on work trips when you have to do the presentations the next morning. Um, <laughs> we're in the mountains, I think. Yeah, we're, in a, we we're at, at least on a mountain. Um, yeah, it looks like one side it's a mountain and the rest is just normal. Uh, yeah, normal. Yeah, maybe. everything is mountain or normal. That is. Yep. They, did you take a geography class? Yeah, there's. it's mountain, normal, dippy-doos. Um, oh, the dippy-doos, yeah. Dippy-doos well. and flat boys. And flat boys. <laughs> wow, you're using technical terminology on me now. Oh, just wait till that segment. I didn't think as a flatlander, Minnesotan, you would know all these technical terms, but... I, I call I call where I live normal. <laughs> normal, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, so we're on that mountain. We're going to do some hikes. I'm going to wear my loafers, not because I don't own another pair of shoes, but because it's just a, it's a batchy seggy. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm glad we clarified that we have the same shoe size, Aaron, because um, I pictured size 13 loafers. You know, I'm just going to pack two pairs of shoes just in case, you know, just for you. If you want to bring me another set of loafers in case I wear out the first ones, like, <laughs> great idea. Thanks for having my back on this segment. I think the hikes will be a one loafer affair. We're each going to wear a loafer and a normal shoe. It doesn't work with the segment, Peter. Oh. You're not oh. yes-anding. <laughs> You're right. I'm not yes-anding. I'm yeah. not concerned at all about Great. what you so think thumbs way up this weekend is going to be. Um, all right. You know what? Thumb, to way thumbs up. And, you know, I am just unrelated going to pack two pairs of shoes. That's fine. Great. Uh, another segment is anytime anyone swears, I'm going to call my mom to pick <laughs> me up. <laughs> um... Y- yeah, that's pretty funny. That's going to be a way thumbs up for me. Um, hey, Aaron. What are the long distance jo- Is it roaming? <laughs> gonna- hey, Aaron, does your mom have a helicopter? Or- well, you know, much much like the segments I did as a child when I would do that during sleepovers, many times she would tell me she couldn't go do it and she'd do it in the morning. So I'm assuming she won't come and pick me up. Mm. But I'll really get into character. I'll cry a lot. Give her a call. <laughs> Give her a ring-a-ding-ding. It's so funny because as a grown man, you would never um, cry at the uh, at at hearing swear words. Um, depends, on the, depends on the context. If I'm in the middle of a segment, I might. You're committed to the bit. That's Yeah, if you do that, that'd be pretty pretty funny. Um, I'm actually going to reduce my score to one thumb up. Great. A normal uh, amount of thumb up. It's golf scores. It's the highest. 
No, is there anything else to score though? Like I, you, you gave me two very positive things, and I, I'm feeling a little bit more. I have four yeah, more is there segments. anything else I can score them? <laughs> is that your segment? The guy who needs to have a score and wins things. <laughs> <laughs> is that one of your all my entire life segments that you do? Mm-hmm. Okay, I will um, be the guy uh, assigning a point system to everyone every morning when they wake up. And as it goes, and at the end of the weekend, whoever wins will get to be my friend. Keep in mind, I booked my ticket yesterday. I have four more segments to tell you. I'm expecting to have at least 8,000. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Based I mean, on the rate I'm going. Like 90 days. Yeah. I imagine yeah. you have a lot of time. That's my goal. 20 segments a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, not, not doing them. I want to do all the segments, but I'm going to come up with 20 ones. And just like always, I'm never going to think. Yeah. I'll give a second thought to my segment once I've written it down. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Um, if I call off the wedding, does that also cancel the bachelor party? I just want to oh, know no, no, I, no. I mean, I booked a flight. I can just come to your house and I can do all these segments for just you and Molly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess we'll do just do the wedding. Them? That bed yeah. one's going to get a little weird in that situation. I think we should stick with it. Um, <laughs> I think we should stick with the plan we have now. Okay. Um, so uh, just remember, based on the weekend, it is Easter. So, one of my segments will be performing the mouse. <laughs> um, and I'm going to tell yeah, you, we chose the Easter, we chose Easter for the for the weekend and I'm I'm not ordained, but I'll tell you what, if I can't get that bread turned into some fucking flesh, we're going to eat some one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a cabin on a mountain uh, for a bachelor party is a nice setup for a horror movie. So I think anybody going into this and is friends with me should be somewhat aware of the risks going in. Let's just hope I can turn that bread. Let's hope it's a good weekend for transubstantiation. <laughs> can you do a few dry runs before you show up? Just to... I don't know how to tell you this, Peter, but the type of bread they use, they're all dry runs. <laughs> <laughs> they don't use yeast. It's not very moist is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Guy was thirsty. All right. Uh, guy who's another seggy. I know there's Good Friday, but is there Thirsty Thursday as part of the Easter thing? Oh, yeah. It's the big one because he was so thirsty. Yeah. That <laughs> um, Jesus. That's why he was always making water into wine. <laughs> yeah. It dehydrated people. That's what was surprising. In the desert? Mm-hmm. He just liked it because right. when he got dehydrated, he got to drink more liquids. But that's, it was hard to drink because he was always walking on all the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. These you are great bits for 80s comedians. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe the guy who uh, people slowly become convinced that he, he doesn't so much love pizza, but is in love with pizza. <laughs> I'm going to fuck a pizza. You're going to fuck a pizza? Hell yeah. So At least one. When you fuck a pizza. Just I'm going to bring my own jacks in a cooler. <laughs> Everyone assumes all weekend that it's just like a fun party thing, yeah. and then you're like, no, this is Jax, and it's just for me. Yeah. Oh, he brought a cooler. All right, what we got in there? One Jax pizza. <laughs> How restrained of you to just bring one? I couldn't bring ice on the plane, so it's a little soggy. Uh, <laughs> God. Uh, all right. A couple more batchy seggies. Okay, uh, yeah. I'm gonna be uh, the guy who won't let anyone else play music and whose favorite song is clearly OMC's "How Bizarre." <laughs> Aaron, I've noticed. Did I already that. play this one? We can just do it again. It'll be some of the things I'll say during my all weekend thing. <laughs> yeah, this is it's a very funny bit because it um yeah, a lot of the best bits remind you of reality. Can you name other songs? Um, 
There's that song, Ooh, baby, making me crazy every time I look around. Yeah, that's that's the that's different song. song. Just, that's the same no, thing. No, I think it's a different song. I think that's every time I look yeah, around. Yeah, that's that's fine. Um, am I allowed to play other songs that weekend other than that? that's those multiple songs that we just talked about? Well, I think if you did, that would be very <laughs> bizarre. Uh, and the answer is no. Um, but only because of the segment. Only because of the segment I'm doing. I mean, we can um, lean into it. It could be like an ironic thing. That's, that's fun. Yeah, I'm going to bring my own Bluetooth speaker. So I guess if anyone else tries, <laughs> let's see who's as louder is what I'm saying. Uh, um, to self by a very loud Bluetooth speaker. I'm going to go bring into Rush's dressing room and bring there all their spamps. Um, spamps? I'm gonna bring them, yeah, they're spams, uh, which are which are pants that hold up uh, your amps. <laughs> spams. Um, all right, last one from my batchy seggies. Four words, Peter. Whoops, forgot to flush. <laughs> that uh, once again, yeah, all weekend segment. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That'd be super funny because then people have to see your 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 poop and stuff. Oh, yeah, that's, that's hilarious! I'm gonna give that one a I'm gonna give that one a, a no Thumbs score because not not a not an option. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess just a thumb a thumb up. What's the lowest right. form of thumb? Is it thumb up? I think it's a big toe. It's a big toe. I'm gonna give it a big toe. Um, excellent. Well, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Again, these are just some these are just some. I, off yeah, the dome. I was too. Yeah. These are just some off-the-dome segments I came up with. I imagine once I have some planning and some charts and get my graphing calculator out of storage. Mm, yeah. Gonna be good. You're going to be very proud of me is what I'm saying. I think you're going to be very excited. You're going to be like, hey, Aaron, people that knew you, which is basically nobody, knew you for your segments, and you brought them. You brought the heat on them. And here's the best part about this, Peter. Like, that's the part you're not listening to. What's the best part of any bit or segment that you can do what's the what's the peak form of segment bits committing callbacks and i'll uh, be callback. at your wedding in just a few months later uh, we can do it all again that's awesome yeah. yeah i'll be not flushing at other places in san diego yeah that's awesome uh just, just imagine just think about this peter just just yeah. pure comedy perspective take all your personal feelings out of it you're i can't just take just but just for this like it's for art um, just take all your personal experiences and your feelings out of it. Just imagine this like it's not you, like it's someone else. You guys are giving your speeches and all of a sudden someone slams the door coming back into the auditorium and goes, whoops, forgot to flush. <laughs> <laughs> like, tell me if you saw that on a sitcom of some sort, like Gary Unmarried, you would not lose it. I would lose it in uh, a couple different ways, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, Aaron, just uh, so you know, this is funny. This is these segments. I did this segment where I just I decided to get married to Molly. But now, yeah, that was just a joke. That was just a joke segment. Me wanting to get married. I don't yep. believe in the marriage institution now. After yeah. this conversation, and right. um, yeah, already already have the address. <laughs> is that funny? I'm showing up is... no matter what. Um, I have your address. I've mailed you some things. 
I mean, I'll be there. Yeah. If you don't get married, we'll we'll have one of those fancy unengagement parties, and I'll pretty much do the same bits. I think. I think these bits work for most special occasions in people's lives. Yeah, these bits are made for walking. Yeah, <laughs> except that loafer one. That's the whole bit. <laughs> yeah, they're the loafer. They're one. really not made for walking. They're they're made for standing. And what in the what are why are they called loafers? Because I, you you mostly see them as a work shoe. But it sounds like they're for loafing I mean, not around. Not like a like a fucking fucking construction site. They're like you sit in a chair. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like you're sitting, not you know. Uh, all right. Uh, do you want to do natural transition? Uh, looking forward to it. We'll mention it all the time. Uh, do you want to talk about the Company of Wolves? Yeah, let's talk in the Company of Wolves by Neil LeSimon Butte Jordan. <laughs> Taglines. We did not talk about the actual excited part where we're, we get to go hang out and have a party uh, for the last half hour in between when we said alternate taglines and this one. So, yeah, wol- wolves. All right. I'm a fix wolves. That's my tagline, which is a reference to a tweet from Kanye, Kanye West. West. <laughs> from his very popular and well-remembered Life of Pablo album that he released over eight years. <laughs> and then never to iTunes for some reason. Yeah, he special he somehow special editioned it 18 times in the course of a week. Yeah, it's why I didn't – like, it's why I got Spotify at the time. Because I was like, why are you – like, I just wanted it in iTunes. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. I buy it. And then I got Spotify, and now I never use iTunes again because why would you ever? Yeah, I, I, I don't understand. Um – so, yeah, what's the plot? The this, Company this... of Wolves. I'll make it fast. So, yeah. there's a girl, Rosaline. She's a typical sort of pubescent teenage girl hiding up in a room, and she's taking a nap. That is the framing device of this movie is that she is taking well, a nap. Well, hold on. That's framing horny device, nap, and her yeah. sister is uh, knocking on the door and saying weird shit and making the, the, the initial dream weird. But, like, what am I missing here? I don't even know. Like, we need to do a whole separate section to talk about the framing device. So let's just just describe it, and then we'll that can be the first thing we get into. Yeah. Okay. We need to get that out of the way. Yeah. Rosaline is uh, asleep and having fairy tale dreams, and so the first one is about a uh, her sister being harassed by. To- like oversized toys and rats and clocks, um, and she's being chased. It's like an Alice. By- it's like an Alice in Wonderland. Yes, bit. she's being chased by wolves, and then her sister gets consumed by wolves. And you think this is going to be a sort of like just a little like, haha, I got my sister back for bullying me kind of thing. But no, then the movie just pivots and it throws Rosaline into the dream. She's now the sister of her mauled sister, um, and they exist in a fantastical version of England in the 1600s, 1700s, something oh, like that. Uh, rural, time-adjusted England in a village uh, in a rural part um, surrounded by this dense forest, and the village is being harangued by wolves. Wolves is the, are going to be the biggest part of this movie. They They cut through the entire movie um so she's at her sister's funeral we learn that she is being uh courted well attempted courted by a very un- unfortunate looking doofus 
and her doofus grandmother... is really the best word for him. Yeah, he's he's somewhere between doofus and goober, and I can't put my finger on. Yeah, if he went. was in the pages of highlights, it'd be doofus and Dallant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's a doof for sure. And she is learning all these lessons about the world as she's going through puberty from her grandmother. She spends a lot of time with her grandmother, teaches her lessons. Uh, her grandmother starts telling her about werewolves and warning her about werewolves and saying, you don't want to end up like your sister, your dead sister, do you? Her dead sister was killed by werewolves. And then uh, Graham tells her a story about a traveling man, marries a woman, and then on the night of their wedding, right as they're all taking on their clothes off, he shows signs of lycanthropy. He has the uh, his eyebrows meet in the middle. He's got the eyes. He fucking bugs out. She thinks he's just like eaten by wolves because she sees wolf foot tracks. Um, so she remarries. She has a bunch of kids. And then X number of years later, I don't know, seven, ten years later, the guy comes back and tries to eat her. And then her husband, her new husband, comes home and kills the wolf. Um, so that's supposed to teach you a lesson. I think don't have sex. Yeah, don't have sex. So Graham is teaching one version of the story, which is like very conservative, very fearful of men in a way. But it's like kind of we'll get into the feminist themes of this movie. But like it's pretty it's the most fun part for me. Next part. um, She gets back out in the world. She's being sort of uh, courted by this goober boy, this doofus. And she's sort of teasing him but then she also hears this story about this boy and the rolls royce the boy and this devil figure and the devil offers him to like make him a man because the boy is fearful for his bare chest and so the boy puts some fucking uh growth serum the devil gives him on her chest and his chest and he starts getting consumed by reeds and monsters and shit because the devil always goes back on his deal so it's a story about someone trying to grow up too fast so this is all about puberty growing up growing up the right rate growing up the wrong rate i don't know peter you forgot one thing what it's about wolves too it is about wolves ironically the the wolves in this movie fix them yeah oh they fix them good then she gets a little red riding clo- uh hood cloak and the sort of last story here no whoa 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 you are forgetting the best story oh yes 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 there's also a story of um a woman who the structure is very weird. We'll get into why. There's also a story being told to her about... No, she tells her grand this story, right? Mm-hmm. She starts telling stories eventually. And she's basically taking on the... It's just, hey, I heard a story once too. And Granny's like, interesting. Tell yeah, me that story. Exactly. <laughs> and, then they just tell, and then they tell the story. This story is so great. This is uh, about a woman who walks in on this gaudy, awful... Uh, party where uh, a wedding is happening. She's a peasant girl. Everyone in the the party tent is a rich aristocrat. She basically confronts them all and says, like, the groom uh, got me pregnant and he said he would love me forever or whatever. Now I've been abandoned. She, uh, She curses the whole party and turns them into wolves. And then she drinks champagne with the servants who are now, like, liberated and, and expressing joy at how their, their masters were uh, turned into wolves and had to run off into the woods. And it's this, this great little story. But the final story, the final main story, there's, a, there's one more little guy in there, but there's final main story is she dons the Red Riding Hood cloak. She goes to visit her grandmother. On the way, she is accosted by a woodsman who's also clearly also a werewolf. So they're kind of combining those two characters. He's like half woodsman, half 
hey, uh, do you guys know where the set of Amadeus is? Oh, fuck it. I'll just be in this movie. (laughs) He was like a choreographer on set and then they added him, which is why he feels so odd and alien to the movie because he has like a French accent and yada yada. Anyways, so... He tries seducing her and then she he makes a deal with her that if he beats her to grandmother's house, uh, he can get a kiss from her. And he beats her to grandmother's house and then eats grandmother. And then when she shows up, uh, he's just hanging out waiting for her. He tries to put the moves on her one more time. Yeah, I was she- a little disappointed they didn't do the he tries to pretend he's grandma because I think it would be a, a little difficult in this movie. Yeah. But, you know. I'd, I would like to see him try. She kind of shows up and she's like, yeah, grandma, huh? And he's like, yeah, yeah grandma. Um, and he, he, uh, they start having this situation where they, they start fighting, but also she like is, uh, she's lamenting the fact that she's not actually that mad at him for losing the grandmother, right? Like lamenting yeah. the fact that she couldn't have this thing. Then we see the villagers who hate wolves and are hunting wolves storm in and uh, one wolf jumps out the window and then they almost shoot another wolf and then she uh, runs away as well, the, the she-wolf. And you realize that uh, Rosaline is a wolf now as well. She has embraced the lycanthropy instead of just seeking revenge for her grandmother. All the wolves are running wild. There's a sort of jubilant scene of watching these like animals, these monsters running around. And then uh, the wolves break through into the real world on the sleeping girl. And she's Whoa. screaming and freaking out. I don't know if that's what happened. And then, it, and then that's the end of the movie. So I rewound that twice. That is not a wolf that breaks in. That is her, a dog. That is the dog. The family dog. The who we is see at wolfy. the beginning with David Warner. It's also confusing because they use they use actual wolves in the movie, but they mix in with actual wolves, especially during big pack scenes. They had Belgian shepherds and painted them to look like wolves. Okay, so but like their dog so like looks the, the, the nothing wolf, like a wolf. Yeah, he does. During the opening no. scene, he looks like a, he looks like a German shepherd. He's just like, like brown fur. No, he because he doesn't have the pointy ears. He has the the. The doubt, what do you call them? The other kind of ears talks have. The dippy doos. The dippy doos. I rewound it because I'm like, wait a second. The dog's breaking in to kill her or she's worried the dog will kill her. So I, I, I was pretty sure that was not a wolf in any fashion that broke in. Symbolically, it is a wolf, though. It would have made more sense Since- if a bunch of wolves hopped in her window at this point. But it's symbolically it is, symbolically it is definitely a wolf. And in the beginning of the movie, she's running around with... Or sorry, her sister is running around with yeah. this German Shepherd wolfy looking dog. Yeah. Um, uh, at the end of the movie, that same wolfy dog jumps through the window, and it's symbolically supposed to be like this movie is very much a lycanthropy equals puberty for women, um, and it's because of yeah. the lunar cycles matching up. Women have their menstrual cycles every twenty eight days. We are not the most qualified people to talk about this movie. Didn't realize until now we should have had a woman on for this one, but um. But the, the, the lycanthropy equals... Or a werewolf. Uh, yeah, we should have had a woman... Were- a she-wolf. We should have had Shakira on this episode. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been best. You want to stop here and get, sh- get Shakira on here? I don't think we should. We barely talked about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, let's talk about the structure of this movie. So, I didn't know that this was... So, I'd never seen this before. I, it had been on my list because I didn't know this movie existed. Uh, because it really didn't get much of a release. 
Um, until, which is rare. I think we talked about it on an episode recently that like one of the hardest parts of the difference between like being a cinephile as a child and a cinephile now is that like, you know about every movie. So I, but I, this is one of the rare movies as an adult. I never heard of, never heard of anyone talking about anything like that. I didn't know it existed until someone posted a photo in our film group of the wedding scene. And I was like, wait, what the fuck movie is this from? Thinking it was something recent. Um, and so they immediately went on my list because uh, photos from that wedding or screenshots of that wedding scene are very impressive for which we'll get into. Uh, so I'd never seen it before and I hadn't read anything about it. Just the people saying it wasn't a horror movie. It was more of a fairy tale fantasy movie. But I definitely wasn't expecting an anthology movie, which is what we got, which is great. Anthology movies are good. We've talked about how much we love anthology horror movies. But in order to set up the anthology, they do. They don't let. They don't clue you in on. Uh, it's an anthology story. There's no like. If they would have just started with fucking Angela Lansbury, who plays the granny, um, reading from a book of tales, and then like the last one takes place in the quote unquote real world, I think as an audience member, I would have figured out pretty quickly what this was once they jumped to the next tale. It took me until the third story. To realize it's an anthology. If you are watching a movie and you're an hour into it, you're like, oh, I get it. It's an anthology movie. <laughs> um, you might be a little bit confused. And I want, like, it is set up with, and don't get me wrong. I really like this movie. I'm very excited to talk about it. But it is set up and, like, saddled with the most unnecessarily complex framing device that only serves to completely discombobulate the viewer for way too long it is trying to ease you into the fantasy world which is something we don't need i don't know because yeah because i feel like it's there to be like hey here's the framing device a girl is having a dream a girl who is into fantasy books is having a dream about a fantasy world and that she enters it it's very it's actually very labyrinthy like a, a girl who hates her sibling uh, enters into a who is uh, trapped between uh, childhood and adulthood and, in, in, you know, mid puberty has what could be a fantastical dream, but also might be real. Then in that the, 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 the fantasy is kicked off by losing the sibling she hates. Yeah. So but let's let's talk a little bit about just how complicated this is, because there is a point where I realized I was lost before I came back up from air. So it starts out real world, girl having a dream. We then flash to a separate dream that feels like a dream. Then we flash back to her and we're like, oh, she's probably going to wake up. And that like first dream, the Alice in Wonderland little uh, cool surrealistic run through is like important of things to come. But then it goes to a new dream. This time she's yeah living in the 1600s with a granny. So you're like, okay, so this is a, gr- a dream. Then in that dream, uh, Angela Lansbury, Granny, starts telling a story. So Wolf now murder, you're she wrote, yeah, she's telling a story about uh, murder she wrote. But no, so you're in a dream, and then another character is flashing deeper into someone else's story. So you're having a dream about someone telling you a story, and then essentially, because I guess you're dreaming it, having that again. At one point in that first dream about the woman who has sex with the werewolf. She is telling the story of the werewolf. So now you're in a dream having someone tell a story and then that person in the story flashes back. It's like 
It is like a turducket of a structure. It what it feels like is you know on you talking you two to me where they go from a side cast into another side cast, another side cast, and eventually have to work their way out to get back to you talking you two to me or uh, are you talking REM re me? Like it felt like that in movie structure. And so at one point I'm like, who who is the character? Is this is this lady telling a is this person telling a flashback from a story in a dream is she the character like who what who is this happening to and that's why i love it on a second watch because yeah rosaline is very clearly the main character on a second watch and it's entirely about her own mental journey trying to process puberty and particularly the sexual component of puberty so real quickly the script is co-written by someone named angela carter she wrote the book, right? She wrote, yes, a bunch of short stories, uh, a short story collection um, that this is pulling from. Two of the stories, yes, but she also wrote a radio play that was uh, sort of adapting a couple of the stories into radio form. And this is primarily adapting that, but Neil Jordan saw it as such a personal story. He wanted to bring on Angela Carter herself to co-write the script with him because he was like, this yeah. is a radio play. It's not enough for a movie. Uh, so they, they ended up taking that radio play and adapting it out. And what her goal was, at least the, the goal that I've gathered from it, is that she is trying to take old Grimm's fairy tales and old sort of folklore and adapt it to a feminist perspective. And I think the movie succeeds wonderfully at that because it's about the struggles and pressures of a young woman trying to go into adulthood because she's so she's getting pressure from her mom is saying, be careful. Her grandmother is saying, saying, be careful. Her dad is saying, like, you know, eventually you got to get married. Why don't you go out there? Like, he's applying pressure on the other direction. And then there's also a uh, a boy in town who is trying to flirt with her. And, and the whole thing is sort of a feminist tale about growing up, dealing with the struggles of sexuality. And it's using wolves uh, and lycanthropy as puberty to sort of process that. So let me ask you a question. Was that clear to you? This this is the second time you've seen it. Second time. Was that clear to you the first time that you saw it? No, I knew that wolves represented some sort of wild nature that she was struggling against. But also, like, between Ginger Snaps and Twilight and stuff, like, on a second watch, it became very clear that puberty and lycanthropy were connected in this one. But the first watch, I was just like, oh, yeah, there's this is just a beautiful fairy tale about a woman struggling yeah. against outside factors. Because I, I read your letterbox review and it didn't mention any of that. I know that was from your first watch after I saw the movie. And I'll be honest. Like there were some, uh, you're right. Like Ginger Snaps, there's some pretty clear allegorical components to uh, what what they're trying to represent of like uh, what what society told women they needed to be. Right? There's the there's the some parts are super obvious. Like Angela Lansbury very early on says, you know, you need to walk on you need to walk the way that you need to walk, and you never stray from the path, or else a, a man will get you. Right. And you need to look for the like the quote, never stray from the path is about is is definitely underlining some pretty clear themes. Right. It's that idea of, hey, this is what a woman is. 
and it's a very rigid, like a path is a very narrow area. Every Everything else around it is this wild open spaces, but you need to never stray from the path and you'll be accepted and not be hurt by, by men who, in this case, are werewolves. Like, and never eat a windfallen apple and most importantly, yeah. never trust a man whose brows meet in the middle. Yeah. So it's, I mean, that stuff is so clear and really good. Like, and there's little touches of that all through it. I'm, I was already interested to, to watch it again because, again, I, I'm not trying to overplay how I just did not feel like I had my bearings on this movie for 45 minutes, which I think kind of matches your first review that I saw on Letterboxd, Peter, where you were kind of like, this is gorgeous. I love this. I'm not quite sure, like, if the framing device and it's a bunch of nonsense, but... Yeah, it took it took a second view for me to really click. After I saw the movie, I read a lot about that, and there's been a lot of feminist discussions about the, the book and the movie, and there's even some disagreement about, like, whether how strong of a feminist statement among uh, various uh, various authors. Um, some very much defending it as a like a, f- a feminist movie and some saying that it's, it kind of reinforces some stereotypes. And I, I did read a little bit about that as well. It just sucked from my perspective because it's like, it seems like this movie had a lot deeper stuff to say that I just kind of missed because I just didn't, I didn't have my bearings as much. And the stuff that I did catch, which again, I'll, I'll be, I'll admit to being dumb. Like it, it was blatantly obvious. I really liked those parts and I thought it was, um, what it was trying to say was, was well done. But now I'm even more curious to watch again, because like I said, once I figured out it was an anthology movie, I was like, Oh, got it. But that was an hour into the movie. And, and so, and then some other things made sense, but you know, an hour into the movie, we're at the wedding scene, which is, I think you would probably agree is, or maybe I'm wrong. That part is mostly, uh, special effects showcase more than allegory. Or was I just so wowed by the special effects that I missed the allegory? The first it's de- time? it's definitely the wedding se- the sequence I haven't really processed. I don't know how that fits into the whole feminist thing that everything else fits into. Okay, I mean, it's primarily about puberty, but it's puberty being viewed for through a women's scope. And Neil Jordan, warts and all, has had a long career of trying to process women's agency and has made some really amazing women characters. Like I uh, have you seen Crying Game? I have, yeah. So, Crying Game is a very controversial movie. Until I knew this movie existed, I had assumed for my entire life, as a big film fan, and had seen these Neil Jordan movies, that The Crying Game was Neil Jordan's first movie. Because it was always in the conversation of these Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino's, like, these indie darlings, and this was, like, an indie hit. And all those other examples I'm giving you are followed with indie amazing hit from first-time director, and in my head, I lumped Neil Jordan into that. Uh, and I haven't seen The Crying Game since uh, probably the late 90s when I started working in the video. Nine, 2000, probably. So it was just one of those um, independent movies that were like hailed as masterpieces that I was like ferociously eating up because it was available at the video store. So I haven't seen it since then. I probably haven't thought about it much since then. Like I, I missed it when it was the biggest thing in the world in 92. And as such, it was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, but it never, it never, like, I, I wasn't, I was a little too old for, or too young, sorry, for the, uh, like, movie sensation. I mean, same thing with stuff like Pulp Fiction and Clerks, too. Like, I caught up all those, you know, six, five years after they came out. 
Same. Yeah. For, for most of these, I had to catch up later. So I, what I'll say is this. Neil Jordan has had a mixed career with with feminist stuff, but like what I love about him is that he's always trying. He's always trying to give agency to women. So like the most controversial one, I think maybe the only controversial one that I know of is Crying Game because it treats yeah. the revelation that a character is trans like a Tales from the Crypt shock twist ending. That is really, really backwards, and it feeds into the the trap uh, uh, stereotype that trans women are just trying to are trying to trap heterosexual Tra- men. Tra- yes, uh, yeah, heterosexual cis men. So it has been a while since I've seen it. You know, it's probably been like nineteen years since I've seen it, but I don't think. Man, uh, I don't think it's a Tales from the Crypt Twilight Zone ending. I feel like the twist is halfway through the movie. It might be later. I need to see it again to actually condemn it. But I mean, like, that is the context that I've read criticism of it in. Oh, yeah, I definitely I would not be shocked if there's again, I've read up some stuff related to like, wow, how it's how the portrayal is bad. And you would not shock me that a portrayal of a trans woman from 1992 is has some troublesome aspects that would not shock me at all and it's not an excuse for yeah but but i just i don't think it's like a a penis fade to credits i think if i remember correctly half the movie is him the second half of the movie is him dealing with that revelation and realizing that he loves the person but that could be just my memory yeah i i would need to see the movie again that's just a a thing that i remember criticism that i remember being levied at it by um, LGBT uh, critics. Oh, it definitely treats the moment itself. Sorry. It definitely treats the moment itself as like a, oh, but I think it um, spends a good chunk. It's not, that's not like the, yeah, it's not the Tales from the Crypt. Like, yeah. Exactly. And yeah. it, which, you know, would feel incredibly backwards by any measure. Oh, yeah. Um, but anyways, but he also like, even in that context, he cast an actual trans woman, uh, which they don't even do now. <laughs> Yeah. He gives the the character so much agency and so much power and like doesn't treat this character just like a romantic interest. Treats her like a real person, which is like so great. And then also, I, I don't know if it was it was an apology in the way, you know, Jonathan Demi did Philadelphia years after Silence of the Lambs, but like years later he did a straight up drag movie with Killian Murphy, uh Breakfast on Pluto, which is so fun. I, I don't know if it stands up today, but I remember particularly as like somebody in high school who is like very much exploring like what is this what is queer culture what is it breakfast on pluto was like a really fun revelation for me um mona lisa is great because mona lisa is entirely about how we treat sex workers as these objects that can just you know i give her enough presents enough favors eventually she'll come around to me and that movie is a sharp rebuke to that interview with a vampire doesn't really fit in any of these contexts i don't think because <laughs> it's mostly about two gay men's relationship but the, the, he has he has his entire career, I think, tried to engage with feminism. And in this movie, I think it's a great sort of promise of what's to come um, because it's entirely an allegorical story about a woman's agency and her learning to embrace it and ignore or just synthesize the lessons put on her from the past. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I've, you know, I haven't seen that many Neil Jordan movies. Like, I've seen the big ones I've seen. The Crying Game. I've seen Interview with a Vampire. I've seen Byzantium. Um, and Michael Collins, which I saw in theaters. I it. <laughs> you should uh, definitely see Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa is, uh, is a really cool little, like, crime drama. 
Yeah, definitely. It's got I mean, early Bob Hoskins, which is like unbeatable. Yeah, I will. I've I've heard that. Didn't didn't he get nominated, Bob Hoskins, for? I think Wars he might have gotten a BAFTA nomination or a win, or a win for that. It was either that or like Long Good Friday. No, he's nominated for Academy Award. Yep, and he oh, won the go. Golden Globe. I should definitely check that out at some point. Uh, Michael Collins. P.S. I don't know if it's a good movie or not, but when your dad's like, "Hey, you're 13," and your dad's like, "Hey, do you want to go see this movie with me?" It's rated R. You don't get to see R-rated movies. You're like, fuck, yeah. And then that movie is Michael Collins. Uh, <laughs> you're just not going to be primed and ready for it. There's not – I don't know if it's a good movie. I don't know if it's a bad movie. I, I imagine know. most of the R content is like dudes dropping the F-bomb in pubs as they're talking about revolution or like yeah. very sad like women being beaten by British billy clubs or something, right? Like I imagine it's not a fun R. It's definitely not a fun R. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's of all the R-rated movies that I got to go see in theaters, Michael Collins was somewhat disappointing. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, uh, can we go see Eraser with all his horse instead? <laughs> yeah, I want to see a dude. horse. He rides a horse through a hotel. Isn't that true lies? Uh, yeah. But I mean, probably, oh, those, uh, Eraser's the alligators. Yeah, Eraser has the alligator. Literally, and only the only thing people remember from that movie, like on average, is that there's a rail gun in it, and that's the Eraser. And also, Arnold Schwarzenegger is the Eraser. Maybe a little bit. Of- he erases people from their past. So, so welcome back to eight hour eight of the Eraser podcast. <laughs> he was an Eraser boy. He said, "See you later, boy." Yeah, he wasn't exactly. good enough for her. Yeah, it was, and with the Eraser spelled with uh, an O I. Yeah. <laughs> and an eight. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, Coming Wolf's good movie. Uh, but it, hey, it is uh, – I probably need to watch it again to speak better on some of the um, – speak better. Yeah, that's perfect. A lot of that uh, – the feminist allegory stuff, like I said, I, I got it surface level. I don't think I can go that deep on it probably for a discussion. But I'm very interested to hear uh, your thoughts as I was to read – uh, a lot of stuff after the movie. It's just I, I'm 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 very excited to watch it again, both for knowing the framing device is coming and have a better expectation of what to expect, but also because yeah, as I drilled down and finally started reading about it after the movie, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much interesting stuff here to dissect that I'm gonna need to I'm gonna need to watch it again as soon as possible. Which I gotta tell you, that's the most interesting thing for someone to say in a podcast is there's a lot. It seems like there's a lot of interesting things here. I'm going to watch it again. Uh, good night. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but so I'm very interested to hear uh, kind of you express those. This reminded me a lot of Tale of Tales. Yes. So very the, much so. The idea of taking these fantasy tropes and adapting them to an adult context or, you know, at least a, a teen adult context. The film is a, is a dark fantasy movie. And it being so violent and vicious allows it to explore territories, I think, with more directness that can actually reach the audience that it means to reach. Well, there just there just is something, too, about like all of these old fairy tales had just fucking clear as day points. Right. And they were usually transgressive in some way, like. Don't have don't not listen to your parents. You're going to get murdered or killed, right? Isn't That's Jack like, and Jill went up the hill to fetch a, fetch a pail of water? Isn't that about them fucking on the hill? If I recall correctly, I don't even remember that, but I do remember that like most of these nursery rhymes. When you got like an unabridged nursery rhyme book as a kid, you're like, 
second and third verses. I've never seen these <laughs> in any of these nursery rhymes. And they're all like super fucked up and weird. It's like, oh, that's why. But even like the Grimm's fairy tales and like the non-nursery rhyme stuff, they just, you know, like the, the Little Red Riding Hood and Three Little Pigs and a lot of things were, you know, sanitized by Disney and other things because they had anthropomorphic animal characters and these other things. But like, you know, it's not a it's not a breaking news to say the original like uh, Grimm's fairy tales and Hans Christian Andersen stuff had a lot of like super dark shit in it. It is something that we've lost a little. Uh, we talked about this a little bit with the Excalibur episode that like the King Arthur myth, which has a lot of intrigue, a very adult themes intrigue, became this thing about a magician and a sword, and um, you know, it, it stripped out all the adult theming. And in the same way, we kind of talk about how, like, 80s kids' movies are fucked up. They made these for kids. Well, Grimm's fairy tales in 1880s and 1780s kids' stories are insanely fucked up. (laughs) And they're definitely not for kids anymore. But we've stripped out a lot of the interesting components to make them for kids. And so these, like, Company of Wolves-type stuff, Tale of Tales is really another – is a great example – is – I. I wish there was more movies that tried to go back to um, the, the 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 thematic and the tone of these stories and maybe in some cases subvert them. Like, you know, the Little Red Riding Hood, when which this, this which was very clear as like a feminist allegory part of this movie, because that 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 and, and the twist that they do to this where she ends up as the wolf um and killing the woodsmen and stuff like that like there there is a there is some good commentary that you can do by still making these dark fairy tales but turning them on their head from what they what the point they were trying to make in a much more regressive time like little red riding hood probably was very much about uh two children at the time is like if you're a woman literally stay on the path like men are going to hurt you you need to be protected by your family uh, and and men are your protection, and then other evil men want to hurt you. So just be quiet, listen to you, what men tell you where to go, and don't talk to strange men because they're going to hurt. Like, that was the lesson of Little Red Riding Hood. And so to kind of turn it on its head, I think, um, is, 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 a, is an easy thing to do to all these things in the public domain that, like, not many people do. Because I, I don't know why. And I remember, like, even movies like, do you remember that Sam Neill Snow White Tale of Terror? I think Sigourney Weaver's in it, too. Yeah. 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 yeah like, I was so, it was like, uh, an adult Snow White with fucking Sam Neill and Sigourney Weaver doing the, doing how, because that's a fucked up fairy tale, too. Even the Disney movie, by the way. I showed it, I remember showing it to, like, my second, uh, when Maya was, like, two or three. And I was like, this is, this is not okay for her. This is pretty dark. And so, but, it, you know, I remember getting very excited to watch the Snow White, A Tale of Terror, and it sucked. Like, it just wasn't that good. Because um, they added all these other elements to it to try to modernize it and to round out and stretch it out. Um, it's not good, but it was because they, yeah, they tried to pad it out with, like, well, it's going to be two hours runtime. We can't just have the tale of Snow White. We need to know how the Huntsman got his gun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, it, like, there were these promises of that. Or, like, Terry Gilliam's Brothers Grimm. Which is actually a movie I don't mind that much, but I was hoping – I was kind of hoping for, like, Brazil meets fairy tales. Instead, I got, like, a, a okay comedy. Yeah. Which was fine. Like, 
but there's there's just these these stories we're supposed to be terrifying and people don't milk that and so this movie really does that all while flipping its regressive messages on its head the mom is sort of applying pressure to the daughter but like it's more pressure like just stay safe don't get murdered um the mom's trying her best but her mom does trust the daughter she's not locking her up in rapunzel style in a tower to keep her from you know exploring the world on her own and and there's a great moment when rosaline is telling the mother about werewolves and you know how there's a beastliness in men and the mother says like very wisely like if there's a beast in men it meets its match in women too the idea is that it's not you know both sidesing her it's her saying like just because men are beastly and powerful or and, and you know can take out their will on you does not mean that you are some victim exclusively you are able to take back the script and that line kind of guides through the rest of the movie and it and explains the ending where uh rosaline disempowers the huntsman dash the wolf and then decides on her own terms that she is going to embrace the wolf life the 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 freedom and the agency of becoming like a wild per, uh, you know a wild person becoming an adult yeah. like uh, she, she embraces that with the the guidance of her mother and with the guidance of everyone else around her but mostly her just coming to the conclusion on her own that she can't just be an afraid little girl anymore yeah um let's let's talk about the special effects um because the two best transformation werewolf movies that everyone they get referred to all the time is the howling and american werewolf in london yeah rick rick baker really like changed how we view monster scenes and practical effects like rick baker is responsible for more bad practical effects scenes than anyone else because everyone saw rick baker in scene and was like i want to see i want to do that myself yeah and you realize how like difficult that is about like especially back before it was like because every everything is a different makeup so you have to yeah. go and sit in the makeup chair and like, you know, and that was something to me a it's long like time to realize. It's like making 3D stop motion animation. Yeah. But it's insane. But you're not moving a model. You're creating a new model for every like, you know, 50th frame or whatever. Yeah. And they and good werewolf movies always try to do something new with the concept. Um, and I think this, this one does something completely new and should be in that same conversation as best werewolf transformation. So... The way it's extremely visceral, extremely gory, um, extremely disturbing, because it is a literal tearing away of the of the old flesh so that the new flesh of the wolf can emerge. Like, literally grabbing skin on your face and peeling it off bit by bit. Um, or And that's one version, and then in the end, it literally is just like... Uh, the wolf's head coming through the mouth and like ripping it all in one fell swoop as opposed to piece by piece as we've seen uh, in other parts of the movie. And then there's like a third version, which is a little bit more of the American werewolf in London that we see at the wedding, which is everyone transforming all at once in these different stages, uh, all while like in the background tearing off pieces of their flesh. So this is like in a lot of ways, three very distinct werewolf changes and all of them are incredibly impressive viscerally realistic they're believable yeah you're feeling what's happening yeah Uh, it is just 
it is just so incredibly impressive. And I'm such a sucker for practical effects that yeah. even when – so the first one can has these dopey eyes and can look a little like plasticine at times. I think that's a lighting problem maybe because lighting these – I thought it worked is, really well. Like, the, it, no, it looks, the, it looks great overall, but like there are some moments that look a little dopey or, pla- or plasticine, and I think that's a lighting problem, not an effects yeah. problem. And it's, it's a little bit later, I think, when the wolf comes out more where you're like – that's a that's a puppet on a stick. Yeah, yeah. I I and and I think that they did such an incredible job with the effects given that it is a very small budget movie. This is not a werewolf movie that was like effects driven. It was made no. in, in an environment in England that had much smaller budgets bucks. for shit like this. Yeah. The first werewolf is Stephen Ray. Yeah. If you don't know who Stephen Ray is, you should, because the dude rules. He's been in a lot of Neil Jordan movies. He was in Crying Game and such, and he he kind of was like a theater dude who never quite found his place, but he managed to eke out some really cool roles in his career. Like, he never yeah. quite broke through. Almost like David Thewlis. Like, David Thewlis yeah. is a similar kind of guy where it's like the film people loved him in Naked, but, like, David Th- people people that were asking who David Thewlis was on Fargo Season 3, and I was like, it's fucking, he was in Harry Potter movies. How do you He's not know who this dude is? <laughs> uh, yeah. I think probably we know what killed his career. Uh, uh, a little movie that we covered called Island of Dr. Brown. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'll do it. Um, that'll t- Yeah. Okay, I get it now. Got it now. You could have a peninsula of Dr. Moreau and come back fine. Um, a bay of Dr. Moreau. I think you're going to be fine. Might take a couple rougher rolls. You'll come back. But an island? You are literally out to sea, buddy. Yeah, that'd be more no from agents. Am I right? Yep. You're not wrong. Let me let me say that much. I yeah. don't want to go so far as to say right. If you haven't seen it, Stuart Gordon's Stuck has Stephen Ray in it, and he is... Oh, that's the... I was like, what? There's some other big movie. Yeah. I, I don't know if you were saying that to me or our audience, but I would agree because I have seen Stuck, and it's good. I like to not talk over your head to the audience. I like to talk to both at the same time. Uh, but Stephen Ray is great in stuff, <laughs> and check it out and watch. Uh, and I would check out the song about him. That's Are you Stephen Ray? Who wants to know? <laughs> Who wants to know about this? One person's going to be like, I remember that weird one hit wonder from 1997 called Are You Jimmy Ray? And I got quite a chuckle. And that, my friend, who just heard that, is for you. Is was that one? Was that one person you when you listened back to the episode yourself? Uh, yep. I'll be like, good one, host, who I mentally disassociate from myself as a person. Um, there's one more thing I need you to know, Peter. Uh-huh. The song Are You Jimmy Ray mm-hmm. was by an artist named Jimmy Ray. And that was the whole refrain that said, are you Jimmy Ray? Are you Stingray? Are you Manta Ray? And each one going, who wants to know? Who wants to know about me? That was a... that. Entered the Billboard Top 100. I feel like ma- naming your first single... Okay, you can make your your single the name of your album. But naming the single in reference to your actual name... Yeah. Probably the kiss of death. Like, yeah, remember not Petey the... Pablo? Yeah. Uh, it's like a proto-hold steady. What do I just say my name all the time? Uh, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> all right. All right. We get it's it. It's okay if you say the name of your band a bunch of times. But you, you can't keep... Saying your own name and then asking people why people want to know about like like people have bothered you by listening to the song like hey oh, yeah. who wants to know about me who who wants to yeah. know about me do you yeah. know who's also in this movie 
Stephen Ray. Can I talk about David Warner really? David, quick? David Warner, yeah. Is this our first David Warner movie? I think so, but next week he he's shows in up Time next Bandits. week. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. How would David Warner feel that I mostly associate him with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze? Hopefully good because he rules in that movie. Yeah. I probably not bad. Probably not bad because he did a bunch of voiceover roles. He did Spider-Man, Freakazoid, Batman, hey, like Fun fact, he's going to end up in two Star Trek movies we're going to watch. Yes, he's in four uh the uh, Naughty Boy Country. Um, he's in another one too. He's, I think he's in Star oh, Trek. Oh, this is not our first David Warner movie. He's in in the Mouth of Madness. Duh, Peter. Uh, um, Duh. And he's also going to be in Tron when we do that. The when fact we- that you forgot on John, we're recording this on John Carpenter's birthday, and you exclusively, you and not me, forgot that we had done. <laughs> David Warner in In the Mouth of Man. It's very depressing. Thank you for holding me responsible. I will chop off one pinky. Um, Great. But uh, he's also in From Beyond the Grave, Omen, Time After Time. Like, uh, obviously, he's yeah, in he's Twin good, Peaks. He's really good. In, you haven't seen Time After Time. You need to. It's really good. Yeah. He, but he's awesome is that he's like a genre dude. It's David Warner and Malcolm McDowell. Yes. About <laughs> Jack the Ripper stealing H.G. Wells' time machine to go to the present, which was 1970s. Directed by the person that did Star Trek 2. Peter, why even recording this? Get off your ass. He's also in Penny Dreadful, which is like one of my favorite shows of the past decade. And how amazing is it that this dude can, because of British people's power, they can do as much trash. Like he mostly does genre stuff, but he still, he still has gravitas. Like he's still, he still has this like power of a British actor where he can just like grovel at you and you're like, you're like, oh, yes, sir. Yeah, I just saw him in something, too. and now Mary I'm... Poppins Returns. Oh, that's right. That's what I saw him in. You are right. I mean, so he'll do trash. He'll do absolute garbage. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to jump. Like, that movie is fine. Like I've yeah, said before, <laughs> it is very brave of them to make a sequel to a musical with, with where every song is a memorable, hummable tune that everyone in the world knows and go, you know what we're going to do this time? No songs anyone remembers. <laughs> All bad songs. Uh, it's, uh, you know. Everything not, else is fine, though. Let's, but let's like, not park and, there. It's not good. You don't want to park on Mary Poppins. I give it like three to three and a half stars. It's, yeah, it's like a three. It's a two and a half star movie. Three star. I don't know. I give it a little more. I mean, I like musicals and dancing sequences and weird bright colors more than you. But it is just like, I couldn't sing you one of the songs. And I saw it a week ago. Do you remember the scene when David Warner uh, kills a werewolf and then brings the paw home as a trophy and then he unwraps it and it's a human hand? Uh, that was my built- daughter's favorite part <laughs> of Mary Poppins Returns. Uh. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then everyone's like, should we bury it or burn it? Which I think is like a question of like Christian burials. Yeah. And then uh, I think everyone agrees, burn it. But he just throws it in the fucking hearth in the middle of their tiny one one. It's it's such a one bedroom, uh, you know, a deal for the family that one time at one point in the movie, the girl wakes up and she watches her parents fuck like, yeah, I get that you I get it that like people used to live in close proximity to their families. But did they not have curtain money? Oh, you can't afford curtain money. It's all going to the pump, the gas and the Buick that drives up sometimes. <laughs> That's that's an easy joke to make that all of a sudden this weird – it's a Rolls Royce, but, like, this guy's like, I wish to be a man because no girls like me. And then, like, out of the fog, a fucking Rolls Royce pulls who's, up. Who's Royce? Uh, I know that it rolls, this horseless carriage you reference. Yeah, it is um, – like, I love that. And it's never explained. No one ever – I mean, I guess you're going to be explained by it's a story being told in a dream, but – 
beyond that, it's just, I love little touches of just bizarreness that don't necessarily serve a purpose. They don't serve a theme, but it's a director, a very visually stunning director, like understanding that that is an image that will not scare people, but make people feel uncomfortable in a way they don't quite understand. And then they, they, he has Terrence Stamp playing the devil for approximately a minute and a half. Yeah. It's so it's so great. He's just – he gives it all for like a minute and a half. He clearly knocked that out in like after tea time before he went home. And I also love that like the little – the touches like that that you're referencing, like one of them is when the wolf attacks Granny. He yeah. slaps her head off, which is very silly, but he slaps – Slaps her head off and it smashes the wall. And the part I like is when the, it smashes the wall, it turns into like a porcelain and yeah. shatters and there's no blood. It's It reminds me almost like Obi-Wan's death where if you're like an old noble person, you don't you don't have blood and viscera. You just turn to dust and, and smoke. Yeah. And I almost like I saw those moments and I wondered if they were little callbacks to the fact that. In theory, you are watching a dream of someone. Like, that is what you're watching. And so, these kind of weird abstract moments that pop up that don't even fit the fantastical elements that are that are either incon- that are even incongruent to the fantastical elements that you're seeing in the dream that's been set up and the time that's been set up. I wondered if those were like purposeful artifices of that. Like in a dream, sometimes these things just don't quite make sense, even when you have a very clear narrative dream. I love that. Like, I, movies don't do that as often as they should. And maybe it's not even so much they don't do it as often as they should, because I'm sure someone could list 50 examples, but they don't do them well enough to be remembered that way. So, what it reminds me of is just recently, Return of Oz, when the fact that the whole fantasy version of Oz you know, or the real version of Oz, reflects inner anxieties and fears of Dorothy. Yeah. This feels like that. Like, the world is real, you know, in her head. The world is real in the sense that the fantasy is real and it has a real effect on Rosaline. However, the world has very strange dream logic because... Mm -hmm. This is a specific dream. And I'm wondering if the porcelain shattering is referencing, like, those dolls that get shattered in her room. Yeah. And I mean, very – yeah. Those You mean those little parts of, like – because the real world is still occurring. So, yes. like, maybe she, maybe she heard a car drive while she was napping. And so, all of a sudden, there's a fucking – Buick LeSabre or whatever pulling up in the with the devil as opposed to the chariot of fire that if she hadn't heard that car. I mean, I, I love that interpretation too. That's great. And I want to say one thing, Peter. I don't know if you realize what you just did, but you compared and contrasted to another movie we did this month. And I just want to say Thanks. But know that but know that my face during this is like Orson Welles in uh, <laughs> Citizen Kane. In, intense it's intense out of love. Like, yeah. I'm, like I'm, like I'm so angry. I'm so, I'm proud of you. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm anger proud. At some point, we had to do it. The thing that we, we promise yeah. every week. <laughs> yeah, it really there should be fireworks and streamers. But yeah, no, it this. Uh, I mean, we didn't talk about the fact that the the Frenchman is trying to gaslight her essentially and be like, oh yeah, fairy tales are nonsense because he's 
he's trying to weaken her position and weaken her resolve by basically saying like all of the women in your life all of the men in your life have been telling you lies i'm an adult i respect you i'll tell you the truth and it's obviously a lie like he's uh, he's got a fucking unibrow like crazy and we know he's a like we that's the funny thing is we kind of know who the wolves are pretty much immediately yeah well because they say you can identify them by their eyebrows this is not invasion to the body snatchers right like she knows no. what she's wrangling with when she sees him the french guy the huntsman but she knows what she's wrangling with and yet she continues to wrangle with him because she is tempted by him. She's entranced yeah. by him. That's my only complaint about the movie is that the weirdo in town is like a not tempting at all. And this weird, this weird huntsman dude is also not tempting at all. Yeah. It's also, I mean, it's worth noting that the huntsman is also like the savior in the, in the original story. Obviously he's the one that comes and kills the wolf. So the fact that he is the wolf and his, and, uh, and uh, and I keep trying. I keep trying to say Dorothy and Little Red Riding Hood's uh, measure of safety is obviously undercut uh, because the world of safety presented in the original uh, fairy tale is from a very uh, you know patriarchal society where it's like yeah your savior is this guy who is. You know, probably just as dangerous in a lot of ways as all the other people we warned you about. He was just here to save you from this wolf this one time. I almost think there's some implications that they get married or some of that shit. Like, I killed your thing. I'm You're mine now. Maybe that's incorrect. I mean, that's uh, how the Rapunzel myth, myth is. I mean, it's, it's like... It's a lot of those. Like, they all end with, oh, thank you for kissing me and killing the queen. Like, you know, they end up as these hapless victims that need to get saved by, by men. It's never and like, so, oh, uh... Thanks. Do you want me to pay for your Uber? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'll give you one flower from my garden and then <laughs> sing more songs to birds. But that's the thing is like the idea that like the the savior in a patriarchal society when reflected through the views of like a modern society is like he wasn't a savior either. He was he was villain and savior in some in some capacities or even if it's not about that that story particularly I, I think it's riffing on the fairy tales in general. And so I really like that that there's, you know, the savior and the villain is in, you know, is the patriarchy and it's all one person. Yeah, I, the couple other little moments that I really liked. Uh, the other really big dream thing that we didn't mention is the weasel. There's the there's a like the weasel like a the coat from Ghostbusters two that gets slime on it that Granny just has. Yeah, she just owns it now. Just owns it. Yeah. And and that's it. Like, the weasel comes to life sometimes. But yeah, it's just another weird, like, what if Granny's coat talked sometimes? And no one really comments on it too much. Uh, love that. Um, I also really love... <laughs> I do have a note here that I'll just say, transformations all day never stop transforming, because I love the Transformers so much in this movie. Way more than the transformations in the movie Transformers, funnily enough. Oh, way better. There's way more viscera in this one. In Transformers, it looks so painless. Yep. I'll say that I never thought I would see a movie where Angela uh, Lansbury's head gets karate chopped off. <laughs> I know we mentioned already, but I just want to say, not something I expected I would see. I'm, gl I'm a better person for it. And then finally, one of the scariest images of this movie 
is such a momentary one and one that I realized wasn't as scary as I thought. It's where it's one of the few moments where there's a bright sun and they're like, there's a werewolf in town and they flash to an image of a a adult cow being uh, is eaten in half. So there's like half of them and it's a bloody it's blood everywhere. And then over that cow is a like calf. And for a second, I saw it's a beautiful image. The, they're kind of in a distance. And I, for a second, I'm like, wait, is this another one of those little dream moments where the co- like the world is so fucked up right now with all the werewolves that the calf has eaten literally half of the mom? And and so for a second, I sat with that thought and like got creeped out by it. And then I realized that a villager's like, the wolf ate the cow. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, that makes more sense. I I love any any story about like nature going so awry. Yeah, like, exactly. Po- power is being reversed upstream and yada yada. I mean, it, it wouldn't have not fit in this because like clearly no. something is going very very amiss. But it's also just a it's it's such a beautiful disturbing shot that it was left to like my brain to ruminate on the implication of what it could mean and uh yeah I, so fyi if you're a director and you want to have a creepy shot uh a baby cow having eaten half of his mother that'd be a painful process blood. too with those Good. flat teeth yeah well i think it also makes it creepy just because like you know cows are so cleanly monochromatic like yeah. they're 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 not even dull they're like bright black bright white and so like to have like a baby cow be covered in blood on like the lips or something. They don't know if they have lips, mouth, jaw, while like half of a mom is full grown cowzine is a very disturbing. I image. agree. It's a very disturbing image. A general recommendation on this movie because A, it is a feminist reimagining of fairy tales, which is very interesting. Like even if there are some there are some voices obviously out there that disagree um but it's a feminist reimagining of fairy tales and i love seeing these genre tropes placed over stories of female agency and liberation because i just think that genre stuff is so often associated with men that to see it not just target women but like specifically say like hey we know what you're going through or a we know what you went through is so refreshing because this is a story that like if you don't have some level of human sympathy for women or some level of human empathy for women you it's not going to work for you i mean i guess it would work as like a bunch of pretty pictures but like even the best segment which is the the scorned pregnant woman uh coming back and haunting the man who uh, got her pregnant and then abandoned her. Uh, yeah, that segment wouldn't work for you either. Like I, this, this is this is a movie that's firmly about the internal life of women, even though it's like the genre movie. And I love any genre movie that tries to approach these themes because at least it's it's fucking trying, and it's not just like we know dudes like tits and we know dudes like heads getting chopped off, and that's our movie. And it's like. Those are the most boring horror movies in the fucking world. And what we find for this movie is that women like Angela Lansbury's head karate chopped off. That is a primary uh, female interest is uh, Angela Lansbury being uh, chopped. 
Um, she gets yeah, to but, say some fun aphorisms, and then when you're sick of her dropping fun aphorisms, it's just, you know, she gets the chop. I gotta go record some lines from Beauty and the Beast. Bye! <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, no, it really is, I agree with you 100%. It's a, it's a really great movie. Um, yeah, the male characters are all very transient. They're in for, like, a scene or not, and... Um, you know, there's a there's a consistency and of of kind of like the way that men hurt and the way that women are told how to not get hurt. Uh, it's that thing of no one corrects the men's behavior. Um, everyone just says, yeah, it's uh, men are out there to hurt you. And in this case, uh, we call them wolves. And yeah. Here's some tips. Try not to get hurt out there. Uh, you know, good luck. Uh, and 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 that that is something that like we're still. This is a little more timely, and everyone's gonna forget about it because the next crazy thing's gonna happen. But like, we're three days out from a three day backlash of a fucking shaving cream ad. It's like maybe stop being so shitty to women. I don't know. Um, you know, get a close shave, and everyone's like, "How dare you? How dare you put politics in my shaving razor ad?" No, I'm gonna just for that. I'm gonna throw my razors away and be a gruff man who I guess abuses women. Can still like so this this idea of like these that we we haven't moved uh, and someone um oh I don't know her real name oh oh no she twint. Or something from yeah. Twitter. Very funny. She had a great thing that was about um, the the contingent of men that were upset, saying something along the lines of, "How would you feel if a if an if a commercial told you as a gender or whatever that you were behaving wrong?" And she's like, "That that's every commercial for women. You yeah. need to lose weight. You need to do this. You need to look like this. You need to do this." So, um, but yeah, I mean, in a, in a time where. Um, you know, a couple hundred years ago, the moral of the story was, uh, here's what you can do to lessen your chances of being hurt by men. And you hear the Me Too stuff and you see even literally days old reactions to something as innocuous as that, that everyone should be able to agree on. And you realize that we're not as we're not even close to as far away from Little Red Riding Hood as that sort of myth. And that's why especially why movies like this uh, are, you know. Not just great horror and fun to watch, and you're able to marvel at the special effects. Are like, you know, they're they're like important, and we don't have enough movies that like contextualize, uh, you know, the horror of men in a way that's that's also makes for like kind of something that is um, just a great horror film in general with with another level. So it's really good uh i'm already excited to watch it again as, as i said uh, i think this conversation also helped elucidate some things that i missed at the beginning um so i'm, I'm even more excited to watch it again uh i will say like it's an anthology movie don't be as confused as i was um, it is an anthology movie told in the weirdest way the framing device doesn't matter at all i don't know um, why they bother with the modern framing device it's totally useless because there's another there is another framing device like eight framing devices <laughs> never stop framing this house is going to be built on a solid frame no collapses no it's, mudslides it's also weird because in return to oz like 
the framing device explains why Dorothy is an outsider. Yeah. When, when Rosalina lands in the dream world, she acts like you do in a dream. You don't treat it like a dream. She is a, she has all the history. She has the yeah. background. She is acting like this is the only world available to her. So yeah. like, there's no reason for that extra framing device, except for it confuses people. And I think that that's why this movie is kind of becoming a cult movie is because like watching it twice sometimes unlocks things that the first time you're just like yeah it's really pretty so that's cool weird imagery and uh i really like these characters but like on a second viewing you finally you're like oh that's what that's the function of the wolves running through every story and that's why they yeah that weird story yeah. where the kids trying to grow chest hair <laughs> yeah and also it almost feels like the only reason they did is because uh neil jordan's like well i want to do this cool alice in wonderland thing and they're like that doesn't fit in anywhere okay Hear me out. What if that's another lady's first dream? <laughs> sure, Neil. But yeah, this was great. Uh, I'm glad we have one more. I really like these. Um, this kind of like dark fantasy fairy tale stuff is like one of my favorite genres. I, I'm I'm sad to see this month go, but we have one more left, Peter. We've got uh, a big one, uh, Time Bandits, uh, which was a movie that I avoided because I so I think I thought it was Ice Pirates, which I had heard was really bad. <laughs> and it wasn't until I got into like directors and knew who Terry Gilliam was and saw Brazil uh, that I circled back. Uh, I guess I knew who Terry Gilliam was from Monty Python, but I guess I didn't associate that necessarily with a director um, until until like high school. Um, and then I, I remember when I circled back to this, it was like, this is amazing. I love this movie. How did I not watch this as a kid? But I, it's probably been like 15 years since I've seen it. So I'm so excited to revisit it. Uh, and yeah, that'll wrap up month number two. My dark, twisted, crazy, double fantasy side two, Yoko Ono dance break. And on that dance break. Yeah. The most the most logical way. I think well, here's what we should do. I think at the end of every episode, Peter, we we're before we record, we write down how we think an episode's going to end based on the content of the movie. And at the end, we just read the little slips and go, not even close. <laughs> no one had dance break. Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website, wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, 
We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. <laughs> That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page, especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. <laughs>